one of the craziest things my kids have ever done? Which one? Every day we have something crazy, so I had a hard time narrowing it down. Oh, one of the craziest things my two kids would do, and did all the time, while one would be trying to be serious when I was taking pictures, the oldest one would stand behind him and make monkey faces, funny things, totally take away my youngest son's view because I keep watching him, and then he'd end up throwing, pushing him in the pool. The one where they got up on the barn and jumped into the manure pile from the top of the barn. I remember one time when we first moved to Santa Maria, my two little ones who were two and three at the time decided to climb to the top of a pine tree that was about this wide and then told me I had to come get them, which would it would have bent over in half uh, if I would have climbed it. So I made them climb down and they just laughed at me at the top of the tree. They were about 20 feet up. Or the one where Roy finds a natural water slide up in the mountains and volunteers to be the one to go down it to see what's at the bottom. One of the craziest things my kids have ever done is Kayla, when she was four, decided to trust fall into a light pole in front of our house because she thought Peter Pan was going to catch her. So what happened? Oh, she busted her head open. When we would say, don't have a party while we're gone, and they would have a party while we're gone. One of the craziest things my kid has ever done was probably when we went to Big Sur and one was a big, big, big climber and loved to do adventure. And so he went off to climb up the side of a mountain and he kept climbing and climbing and climbing. And before we knew it, it was like he was on the top of one of those mountains way across the valley. Eventually he came down because it was a long time. Boy. You're the only one. Let's see. Not only the craziest, but the scariest. When I couldn't find you, you were four years old, and it dawned on me you had to be on the roof. And you were on the roof with your cowboy boots on, <laughs> sitting on top of the chimney with your feet dangling in the chimney. So I asked you quietly, uh, what are you doing? He goes, there's no way Santa Claus can get down this chimney. So I had to go up on the roof, get him off, and bring him back down. <laughs> I'd like to beat him, but I didn't. <laughs> seriously, I, I was seriously, I, I didn't know I was wearing cowboy boots. Maybe that's why I fell off when I was trying to get down. But I, I remember this. I remember climbing up there. It, that, the hole's like this big. And I'm like, I have seen pictures. There is no way. There's no way. Then I saw the movie The Santa Claus where he's like, whatever. Cookies apparently make it happen. So if you are a mom, raise your hand. We have we have some uh, little C's candies for you today. Tess, you're not a mom. <laughs> Tess, Tess is Sean Jones' little girl, and she's in the back going like this. All right, right there. Keep your hands up. Uh, now, I, I'm just going to warn you about today. Again, if if you haven't here before, today's going to be different because after I'm done speaking, I'm just going to pray and let you guys go. There, there's no music afterwards. Usually we do the majority of our music on the back end. 
uh, today. Again, that's that's not going to happen. We I will invite you to communion. It's it's in the front. There's nothing in the back. It's all up here, so you're not in people's way trying to get in and out. We will have people to pray for you after service if you want that, but they're going to be up here in the front. And again, just uh, it's it's a little bit longer because my message isn't really that long. It just feels long. Really sorry, but I but I I asked a bunch of moms some questions today, and they're going to be interspersed throughout the message. And that's why it is a little bit longer. So if you're new here today, this is not how it normally goes. Unless you really like it, then it's totally, totally how it goes. Uh, if you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, there are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. Today, there are half sheets with just some questions to go a little bit deeper into what we're talking about today. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. Uh, click on More and then Events in Uversion. It will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and all that goes along with today's message. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for reading of God's Word? got this thing on my notes on the very top. It says, G babies. We already did that, so I'm good. This is Proverbs 1, 8, and 9. And it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us how to be a people who live and trust in how you parent over us. And that we would listen to the things that you say and the places that you lead us into. That we would honor you with all of our lives. And in the end, you would gain great glory as your people live in the great joy that you provide. Amen. Have a seat. Have a seat. So, it's kind of funny. On Mother's Day, on Mother's Day, the room always smells a little bit more like perfume than on other days. Don't know why that is. Uh, hopefully your families are going to do something nice for you today or always did something nice for you this week. Uh, we are doing this series at Element right now called What in the World? It's based upon at the end of last year, I kind of answered some of these questions I kind of still had about the scriptures, like what in the world does that mean? I asked you to write down your what in the world questions and we come back this year and answer your what in the world questions. So to give you a heads up, today is actually a what in the world question. We had one that works for today and actually one that works for Father's Day, so we're going to go just kind of right through these. So to set the mood, uh, this is the question. It says, weird question. I always think it's funny when people start their question saying my question's weird, but whatever. So often I feel like a failure as a parent because one of my kids struggles with everything and the other is a good kid, and good is in quotes. I look in the Bible at people like Abraham who had all these kids who, except for Joseph, went totally bonkers. Dinah runs off with the guy. His sons destroy a town. They sell Joseph into slavery. As a parent, how does the Bible teach us to navigate life with children correctly? So my Mother's Day gift to you is to answer all your parenting questions. So you can be the perfect parent. Now, if, if you know me, you could probably be thinking, well, well, Aaron, how can you do this? You're not a mom. Obviously, okay, obviously, and, and you don't have kids. Well, my wife and I tried to have kids for about f- 15 years, so I, and, and I got three reasons why I think I can talk about this, okay? So, so number one, first off, it's always easier to, to tell people how to do something than do it yourself, okay? Number one, and since I don't have kids, all mine are perfect, so there you go. Second, uh, I have a mom, and I asked some moms uh, to do some things for me in this video so we can answer uh, some of these questions for you. Uh, and if you 
are like the videos, you can thank Donald. Uh, he's my gospel community leader who put them together. And if you see any of the moms here, thank them for actually having enough guts to be in the video. And third thing is, uh, I know Jesus, and I read my Bible, and I think I'm able to give you some insight from the scriptures and my relationship with Jesus to help you out in this. And if you are here today and you are single, and you're thinking, well, this isn't really for me, one day you may get married, you may have kids, this may be very good for you. Uh, you may have people in your life who need you to just come alongside them and help them parent their kids. This is, this, I think these are all good things that we can all learn how to grow forward in this. So, as we start off, the question, though, uh, Abraham was actually not the father of Joseph and Dinah and the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, that's a guy named Jacob. Jacob will dominate the second half of the book of Genesis. Abraham, he's a knucklehead, got a couple crazy kids, but, but Jacob actually had uh, 12... 13 crazy kids in there. Uh, He is a bad dad that God in the end comes and redeems. And I think being a good parent can be difficult. It can be challenging. But I also think it's one of the most rewarding things you will ever do as a parent, or as, as a person is raising kids. So the question, how does the Bible teach us to navigate life with children correctly? And the best place for a parent, a mom, or a dad to actually is start in the scriptures. What do the scriptures teach us about doing that? We're going to talk about some hard things, maybe some silly and some fun things in this. But I think the first place that we got to start and understand is the idea of discipline and instruction. Discipline and instruction. Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And in, in the original Hebrew, that means as a young, when they're really young, that's when you start the discipline. Studies today will show that children who are raised in undisciplined households feel more unwanted and more unworthy. The lack of direction and self-control they will begin to show in their lives directly reflects to how they were disciplined when they were young. When they get older, they will tend to rebel. They rebel against God and others and especially any kind of authority in their life. And growing up, I can tell you that my mom had no fear of disciplining me and my brother. None whatsoever. I felt like I spent more time with my friend the belt than, than like anything else. Uh, I was always in trouble. But my mom, she was consistent. She was consistent. When she said what she was going to do, that's what she did. And, and when I was a kid, I thought she was so mean. But now on the backside of it, I really appreciate it. When my mom would say things like, you're grounded for three weeks. And I'd be like, oh, three weeks? What, you want four? And I'd be like, yeah. I got up to six weeks doing that. And, and she kept me grounded for six weeks. She never gave up. She never gave in. I do wish she had better aim because she, when she smacked me, she never got my butt where all the padding was. She always got my legs because she, she just couldn't aim, but whatever. <laughs> where all the cushion is. Hit the cushion. <laughs> I think discipline is very important for your kids. Uh, I, I think swatting them on the butt is actually okay, but you never do it when you're mad. You never do it when you're mad, and two to three is for the kid. Any more than that is going to be for you. So think about it. Just don't do it when you are angry. And, and discipline, there's more to discipline than spanking. You have to understand that discipline in the scriptures is the idea of letting your yes be yes and your no be no. Being consistent in the things that you say. Don't threaten if you're not going to follow through. If you say, you do that again, I'm taking your phone away, take their phone away. You slam that door again, I'm going to take the door off your bedroom. Slam! Take the door off the bedroom. Just follow through with what you say, because discipline is more about consistency. Consistency. Proverbs 19, 18 says, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. 
So in this, what you have to understand that discipline is very important in the scriptures, but discipline in the scriptures is always going to be paired with love and guidance so your kids can actually grow up. You don't want them to be resentful and discouraged and rebellious because you never showed them love in the midst of your discipline. Colossians 3.21 tells you that. And so I think God knows that discipline is painful in the midst of when it's happening, but again, the scriptures teach it's always followed by loving instruction. Always by loving instruction. Discipline followed by instruction is remarkably beneficial to children. And so I asked some of these moms about disciplining their kids, and this is what they said. It just it breaks my heart to discipline my kids. And I know it's for their own good, and I know the discipline has to be done no matter what the discipline is, whether it's, you know, you were going to get to go do this, but now you can't. And I, I, I also spanked my children, and they turned out just fine. That wasn't a beating. It was a spanking, and that was hard. That was really hard. Um, because I see myself in them, and I feel like a big, huge hypocrite uh, when I have to discipline them for something that I know I'm still working on. Was my discipline, I knew it was enough, but was it over? Did I go over a little bit? I know there was a time with Aaron that I realized I stepped too far forward. After I thought about it, I had to go back and apologize. Not that, not that I discipline you, but I went a little too, too far with it. It's really hard because, uh, especially when they were a little bit younger, there's really a hard boundary of respect and friendship. And being a step parent, you don't have that pre-existing relationship where they respect you from day one since they were little. So having to implement rules and know we're not going to throw food at the table or no, we're not going to slam our doors. It's not what we do. You know, those were, were challenges sometimes. And I had to grow a lot to learn how to discipline with a lot of grace because I expected, if I say it, it's how it's going to be. And that wasn't how it was. <laughs> okay. The hardest thing about disciplining my kids is that I never have disciplined my kids. So I thought that I could sit them down and talk to them, and they would understand that I'm talking to them and they would get what I'm saying. Their light bulb would go off, and they would understand and they would change their behavior. And I never laid down consequences, and I thought that this would be an effective tool of disciplining. I thought that would bring peace and harmony into the home and into the relationship between me and my kids. And all that did was cause like resentment because they would misbehave more and they would have attitude more. And I didn't understand why. I thought that I was doing what was right by my kids by not disciplining them. I was a single parent. I didn't know how to do any of this stuff. And I didn't have anybody coming alongside me helping me to do any of this stuff. And I have Eric, and he has a completely different style. He actually disciplines. And so I have him to come alongside me and he'd be like, you know, hey, let's let's do this this way and let's try this this way, which is a completely different style than I've been doing. So I feel like we will have be on the same page for discipline and I will do things differently. I think it's funny how my mom says that she apologized. I don't ever remember her apologizing. 
I was a crazy kid. I was a hard kid, but I don't ever remember her apologizing to me in this. Okay, so uh, we're, you spend a little bit of time, I think, when you look at the scriptures. Proverbs is a great book to kind of learn about parenting and, and things like that. But th- there's a problem with the book of Proverbs, and that Proverbs is proverbial, right? It's, it's, a book of par- it's, a, it's a collection of general principles, and sometimes they're hidden inside different types of metaphors. And I think it's very important to understand that Proverbs, they are not promises. They're, they're principles. And so you have to not use them as promises. Here's a perfect example. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, a lot of people, you probably heard that in some places, and they take that and they claim that as a promise. But it's not a promise. It's like the person who asked the what in the world question. Because we all know situations where two kids can be raised almost exactly the same. And one of them loves and follows God, and the other one totally rebels against God. Is the proverb wrong? Well, no, because the proverb is not a promise. What it is, it's a principle. So how do we know this? Well, in Isaiah chapter 1, God refers to the nation of Israel as his children. God says in Isaiah 1, 2, Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The New English translation says it like this. I raised children, I brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. So is God a bad parent? No. You're in church. you got to say no, okay? No, he's not a bad parent. God is a perfect parent, yet his children rebelled. And what this tells you is sometimes you can do everything perfectly as a parent, not that you do, okay, because you're people and we're all messed up, but you could do everything perfectly and children can still rebel. And so when you study the scriptures, you begin to see that the entire scriptures actually give you indirect guidance on raising children. And what I mean by that, as you read through it, you first understand your relationship with God and how that relates into relationship with kids. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers or parents are to bring them, the children, up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That means that's supposed to be the center of that relationship. Yes, you provide for the physical and the spiritual needs of your kids. You bring them up. You raise them by instructing them in who Jesus is and what he has done. The center of a parent-child relationship is meant to be learning about who Jesus is. So how does the Bible give indirect uh, guidance regarding parenting? Well, the first way is that the Bible tells us about God, because the Bible is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Too many think people think the scriptures are all about human beings. It's all about us. No, primarily, first and foremost, the scriptures are about Jesus. When Jesus, as I said, is the center of a parent-child relationship or any relationship, we are going to better reveal the glory of God and grow deeper into relationship with one another. Matt Walker wrote this. He said, every relationship is an opportunity and responsibility to correctly reveal the glory of God. In the, child, uh, in the parent-child relationship, the responsibility is magnified. So I asked these moms, I said, what is one thing that you'd want your kids to know if you could impart something directly into their brains? So here's their answer. If I could impart something into my kid's brain and heart, a love for Christ. Such a belief in, in God that nothing will ever dissuade it, no matter what happens in our life or their life. To continue to love everyone, treat everyone fairly. I feel like I would want to tell them you can run, but you can't hide. If they truly knew how loved they were by God, that I think that their lives would be so so different. That they would have a different perspective on the people in their lives and the situations in their lives. And I feel like they could be so much more of what God's calling them to. And it's just, it's hard to watch them struggle sometimes, having to sit back and say, you know what, this is God's plan for them to struggle, to grow, to learn. You can go into the lowest of lows. You can go into the darkest of darkest places. But because Jesus died for you and loves you so, so much, he will follow you into those places 
He will pick you up out of those places and he will bring you back to him and he won't stop until he does, until you are there back with him. And he did that for me. If they could really have that firm foundation and understanding in the depths of who they are to know how much they're loved already, that they're perfect already, you know, especially for my girls, you don't have to be anything other than who you are. Kindness <laughs> to others and thoughtfulness. Um, it's hard to see how selfish they are and therefore me too. And I wish that we could all just learn that. I think God's already done. We both love Jesus. Uh, and not only that, I always ask God because I've been married more than once that your guys' marriages would keep and that he would uh, keep an eye over you guys and just keep you there. I mean, he's done that. Here's the thing about interviewing your mom, right? She she always answers the question, like, like not for everybody, but just like you. So you know you. It's like, answer for everybody. Answer for everybody. All right. So the, the second way the Bible provides indirect guidance in parenting is it reveals how God parents us as a people. And I think that's really important. We as believers are God's children, just like Israel in the Old Testament was called God kids. We are still God's kids. And so God parents us as a people. So we need to understand and observe how God actually parents kids. So for all parents or people who hope to be parents someday or people who come around other people who are parents and want to help them, two things I think that we must do. Number one is this. You teach your kids about Jesus. You teach them about Jesus. And when I say that, I mean the real Jesus. Not, not the hippie Jesus with the flower in his hair going, oh, everything you want to do is cool. And not the Jesus who's all angry and drives people out of the temple. But the real Jesus who disciplines and yet shows grace and love and compassion. You are going to be your kid's primary spiritual leader. You as a parent need to teach them the Bible because the Bible is all about... Jesus, exactly, which means you need to begin to know and understand the scriptures. Here's, for some people, this is a controversial statement. I don't see why, but it is not the church's primary role to teach your kids about Jesus. It's yours. It's yours. We get them a couple hours a week. You give them the rest of the time. Who do you think has a broader influence on your kids' lives? You do. You do. I mean, we are here to come alongside you and help you to learn to do this. But in the end, you are your kids' primary spiritual leaders. So teach them about God from the scriptures. Show them who God really is. There's this great book. It's called Parenting Beyond Your Capacity, which is a great title for a book, by the way. And they said this, your role is not to impress your children or anyone else with your ability to parent. Your role is to impress your children with the love and the nature of God. With the love and the nature of God. And so you ask, how, how do you know about the love and the nature of God? Well, the best way is you experience it. You live in it. You understand the gospel. So you read the scriptures. You talk with God. And believe it or not, I think one of the best places to understand this is this Old Testament book called Exodus. Because this is where we will get our understanding of redemption. What you have is you have all these Israelites and slavery and bondage in Egypt. This is like how sin holds us down in our lives. And God sends Moses in to redeem and bring these people out into freedom so they can worship God in great freedom. And so God does this and eventually brings this uh, people to a place called Mount Sinai. And they encamp around the bottom and Moses goes up onto this mountain. And while he's up on this mountain, God gives them these things called the Ten Commandments. You've probably heard of them. okay? And because what these are meant to be is they're meant to be a representation of a marriage covenant between God and Israel. So while Moses is up there meeting with God, the Israelites get bored, okay, like we do, and they hang around in this camp and they're what are we going to do? Let's pull off all of our jewelry, we'll throw it in a big pot, we'll melt it down, and we'll make a golden calf, and then we'll worship that. What? 
It's like they make this golden calf and they put it. I mean, they just made it with their own hands. And they're like, we're going to worship that. We are so weird. And so Moses comes down from the hill. They're all worshiping this golden calf. And what Moses does is he breaks those stone tablets. Not because they're too heavy. Not because you watch that movie where it was 15. Oh, boom. No, just 10 now. No, it's it's Mel Brooks. Right. Way to go. All right. He breaks them because it's representative of how Israel had broken the relationship with God. And so what Moses does is he goes back up on the mountain again, and God shows up again. And what God does is he reveals himself, and this is what God says about himself. Exodus 34, 6. God says, The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He will go on to talk about sin and these kind of things in that, but the first thing God talks about is his love and his faithfulness. And so how does God as a parent treat his children? He is merciful. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. Not that God doesn't get angry, because God does get angry. He calls Israel out for their sin here, but it is slow. It's a slow boil. It's not instant. And he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. As I said, God calls these people out for their sin, but he brings them back to himself. And that is how we, as parents, are supposed to proclaim in word and deed to children what God does because of how you end up parenting them. I think when we do this, we proclaim the glory of God among creation and especially among children. I think when children are disciplined and treated in a merciful, gracious way, with great compassion, you teach them correctly about who God is. And I think as a parent in your life, you're going to get a great front row seat to see what God's interaction with humanity is typically like. I was listening to this one guy one time, and he was talking about how his, his son was born. And, and like he's in the operating room, and the kid comes out, and, he, and he's holding his son. And he, and he says, he prays to God, please, God, teach me how to be a father like you are a father. And he said, right then, his son pooped on his foot. He's like, okay, got it. That, that's how it works. Guys, I, I, will, I will tell you, when, when your kids cry and whine, that's what Israel did to God. That's what we do to God all the time. You get a front row seat to see what it's like. When, when your kids talk back and argue, that's what Israel did to God. That's what we do to God all the time. When you feed your kids too much sugar and they're tired and they're frustrated, you're like, oh, you're driving me nuts. Welcome to God's understanding of the human race. <laughs> that's, that's what it's like. And your response to your kids, when, whether you like it or not, is going to teach them about who God is. About your view of who God is. God treats his children with grace and mercy and compassion, steadfast, loyal love. And so what view of God are your words and your action then forming in the minds of your kids? We must teach our children correctly about who God is. And once they begin to understand that, start to teach them that they also get to talk to God. They can speak to him. We call this prayer. And second thing is, teach your children how to talk with God. There's this story about these two little boys. They're staying at their grandparents' house, and they've obviously been taught how to, how to pray by their parents. And so while kneel, kneeling next to their bed to say bedtime prayers, the, the youngest one starts yelling at the top of his lungs, Dear God, for Christmas, I would like an iPad, an Xbox, a scooter, and some video games. And his brother smacks him, and he goes, Hey! God can hear you. You don't have to yell. God's not deaf. And he goes, I know, but grandma is. <laughs> but it's the understanding that we get to talk with God. We don't have to yell. God, God hears our prayers. And what we're trying to say, our kids must understand that God hears our prayers. And so once again, I think you must teach them. You must model this for them. You don't just tell them to pray. You pray with them. Last week, my, my wife had surgery, and she's, she's sitting in the pre-op area, and you know, I, I, I'm a little anxious about this and stuff, and so I reach over, and I, and I just grab her foot, and I'm just like, 
Jesus, please let this work out right. Everything come out okay. Uh, amen. That, that's like my prayer. It's this mumbling thing because I don't really know what to say in that moment. And you as a parent may feel like that's how you always just pray with your kids. Well, I'll tell you, your kids will still catch that because they'll see how important it is. You may not have ever prayed with your kids or ever prayed with your spouse. It's a good thing to start, and it may be awkward and weird at first, but you know what? It shows how important it is when you start to do it. And so we must be a people who begin to live that because kids are going to catch that, and they're going to see that, and they're going to be able to live in that as well. And so I asked these moms, I said, I said, where do you feel like the biggest failure as a parent? So this is what they said. I feel like I was a failure as a parent during the time that none of us, we had all kind of dropped away from the church. So I feel like I should not have fell away and kept my children in church. Oh, that one time? That one time I felt like a failure? (laughs) I feel like a failure all the time. Yes, again, every day. (laughs) But uh, my biggest recent failure is uh, when we were considering having to move and I told my kids, oh, by the way, if we move to Europe, we're gonna have to get rid of your favorite pet birds. And they immediately started crying and I thought, oh, that could have gone a lot better. (laughs) I could have prepared them better for that conversation instead of fading fact. I feel disciplining as a parent was one of my biggest failures. I think it happens a lot especially when you have to spank them when you got to you got to st- you know you got to step a little closer because you want to make sure that they get they get it <laughs> not thinking about the discipline before carrying it out just disciplining in anger i actually said to my husband the other day in tears on the phone i'm doing it all wrong I feel like a failure. The boys are screaming. They're saying no to me all the time. Kayla's fussing and whining and has an attitude all the time. And I can't do anything right. And if I wasn't a failure, Kayla would have a perfect attitude. She'd be getting straight A's in school. The boys would do what I want them to do. They would eat what I want them to eat. And I feel constantly failing all the time. I think my biggest failure is not talking to them enough about God. I don't talk to Kevin as much about God as I do Roy and Caleb. And I'm just reconnecting with Kevin and my granddaughter. And I think that that conversation will come up more often. We're all on our own path and our own walk of trying to get you know, closer to God and um, losing tempers and making comments, um, you know, things that are so easily done and so easy, especially for me to fall into, I have to take a step back and go, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I don't, I can't do that. I mean, not only am I giving bad representation to them about the love of God, but also making it acceptable for them, you know, and it's really hard to have to be so honest of I'm a failure and not everything I do is right, but I still want to try and do right. I think that if you're doing it right, you constantly feel like a failure. Oh. 
guys, I'm going to tell you, there is grace, all right? There's grace and hope in the places you feel like a failure as a parent. I think the Bible gives, as I said, parents direct and indirect guidance about raising kids. And I think there's a few things as parents you should probably learn to avoid. Uh, Ephesians 6, I, I mentioned it earlier, but it starts like this in verses 1 through 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I know it says fathers, but that can be fathers or mothers in this relationship. I think one of the ways that, that parents begin to neglect their kids and kind of provoke them and, and fail them is when you begin to ignore them when things get difficult in your life. Uh, believe it or not, husbands and wives argue sometimes. Okay, so a few of you have done that. Uh, and what happens is, is when spouses begin to argue, they, they start to look at their own needs and their own wants, and they stop thinking about the kids in the midst of it. They just start thinking, look how horrible this thing was. Look what happened here, and how dare this person do this to me, and how dare that. And, and you kind of become really self-focused. And then sometimes when it goes on and gets further, it leads to a place of divorce. As, as a matter of fact, the Census Bureau says there are now 1.2 million divorces in the United States each year. The Pew Research Forum says traditional nuclear families with two heterosexual uh, parents are now in the minority in the U.S., and that single motherhood is skyrocketing. Uh, 46% of millennials, 44% of Gen Xers say marriage is becoming obsolete. And so divorce and single uh, parenthood is huge in our culture today. And, and th- this might be a hard thing, but I want you to hear my heart in this w- when I say this, because this isn't judgment or anything, but as I was going through all these statistics... Uh, I also found that the largest segment of people who use online dating sites today are single moms. And I'm not saying there's something wrong when God brings somebody into your life and stuff like that, but it it shows that typically what happens is we start to focus on ourselves. And if you're a mom with a kid, your kid needs to become that that Jesus and then that kid that that focus for you in your life. And so I, I would say in this, I think kids can become angry when they become less important than our own wants and our own desires. And again, I understand how I say that and how I mean that in that. And secondly, uh, I also think we can provoke kids to anger if we have unrealistic expectations. And and don't get me wrong here. I I think expectations are really good for kids to have. If you don't have any expectations, kids are going to rise to the lowest expectation that you have in there. They'll find it and just go to that. Like some parents don't think that their kids can obey them. And it shows. (laughs) Okay. Um, But the scriptures teach us that kids can they can honor their mom and their dad. They can do that. What, what it takes is discipline and consistency. And the scripture says that there's an expectation that the parents are actually in the Lord. They're walking with Jesus. Why, why do you want your kids to obey you and understand who Jesus is and maybe go through some hard stuff in their lives that grow them? Why? So your kids will live long and your kids will live well. But, that, but you cannot simply frustrate your kids with the standard that they can never, ever attain. If a child is not disciplined or raised correctly, they're going to gravitate towards sin, which leads to death. And if you don't know this, death can hamper the quality of life. Okay? And that means in the midst of how you parent, your theology and how you view God is going to guide, in the end, how you parent. Today, parenting has been handed over to a lot of people who are not very astute theologically. Your view of human nature is going to boil over into how you parent. Most parenting systems today will tell you that children are born morally good or neutral. 
And so kids then, they say, oh, you just need to give your kids enough freedom to grow into who they are. And what we get is well-adjusted axe murderers. That, that's what we get because that's what happens. When a child goes with their natural tendencies, they become deadly. And many times parents who do that, they're, they're crazy when they let their kids go that way. My wife was a junior high school teacher for 15 years. And, and I will tell you that sometimes junior hires are, go a little wonky, right? They're a little nuts. And she would have to get them in trouble. She'd have to write them up and, and do things like that. I cannot tell you how many times parents will come in and they blame her. Oh, you just want to get my kid in trouble. Yeah, like I really want my wife to hang out after school all the time watching your kid so she can't be home with me. What? No, that's not how it works. Uh, she, she had a majority of parents who would actually lie to get their kids off the hook for something. Guys, we, we can't do that. We can't do that. You got to understand that that kids and ourselves, given to our own natures, are going to be destructive and self-destructive. Scripture teaches that we have a proclivity towards sin. And if you watch kids, you don't have to teach them how to sin. Kids naturally do it. Two years old, what's their favorite word? No or mine. It's one of those two words. They're like those seagulls in the movie. Oh, mine, mine. They're like that. Kids, when they're little, they lie. They whack each other with sticks, and they, they're selfish. And if another kid has a toy, and your kid wants it, they walk over and they take it. They don't take it, they're like, ah, you get it for me. Ah! You know, it's, you see, you know, it, it's what kids do. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, our hearts are deceitful. And that, that means kids' hearts, too. And so in the end, our goal is not to have good, morally compliant children. Our goal is to have redeemed hearts. We want kids who love Jesus, because when they love Jesus, this obedience will come out of this redeemed heart. And so a wise parents instruct their kids to love them and the Lord so they can live a long and a good life. That's the goal. So you should have expectations. But don't mock or belittle them if they, if they fail trying to live up to something. There are some parents I know who are absent all the time, and the only way they parent is to yell at their kids when their kids do something wrong. That's terrible. Your kids are never going to rise to expectation just by you yelling at them and never being around them. You cannot be an abusive bully who uses discipline as a punitive nature to crush your kids. You've always got to redirect them back towards who God is. Kids must understand the nature of your relationship with Jesus first so they understand this. And a lot of kids today are becoming angry and frustrated. There's a whole generation who is provoked against their parents because they cannot think of their parents in a positive way. So what you want to do is come alongside them and see them through their seasons in their life where one day they can become your friend. But while they live in your home, they're your child. You're the parent, they're the kid. You can't be their friend. You've got to be their parent first. And so this is what I actually asked them in this last question here. I think all kids need discipline. Uh, I even had my kids as they were growing up to ask us to discipline them more. It's more important to show discipline than being their friend because I was their friend. I was my oldest child, their friend, and she just ran all over me. She lied to me, she cheated, she stole, she did everything she could possibly do to me because I never showed discipline and I was just her best friend. And I've done that with Kayla, my 14-year-old. I've just been her best friend and she is brutal towards me. She's mean to me. And she just runs all over me. And unfortunately, it's like I've created that monster, so I just let it happen. I didn't have you to be a friend. <laughs> uh, you got to be a parent first. Friends, I don't think they, you know, they have enough friends as it is. I don't think they need one more. Besides, it makes confusion. 
to the child and the parent who, who, who is the adult. Well, God has charged me with being their parent, and I will be held responsible for that in the end. Um, and in the end, I want my kids to be good adults, <laughs> so they contributing members of society and not jerks. It's easier for them to learn those lessons now when the uh, price and the cost of doing wrong is this big and not this big. Because a parent doesn't say, hey, that's okay, let's go do this. The parent says, that's not okay. Let's think about the consequences of those actions that you want to do. When you actually can give guidance from a perspective of, of love and care, that I think it makes a big difference rather than wanting them to like you for who they are now. You know, they need to grow, and you know, just as God does for us, there's times where he says no and things that we say that we want, because it's not for us. It's not what we need, and... We always feel like we, we know what we need, and same with kids. They always feel like they know what they need, and uh, being their friend isn't going to help them grow. So don't be your child's best friend. Show some discipline, because if you show some discipline, you love your children. And to do that, sometimes you have to go through the hard road and do the hard things like discipline and taking them out of sports or taking them making them do chores. I get their eye roll all the time, but I feel like that's what um, I do to God too, is give him the eye roll of, you don't really know, <laughs> but he does. And he has my best interests at heart and he, he wants better for me. I kept telling Amy, I felt so bad. Every time I asked her a question, she started to cry. I was like, oh, Amy. she's like, no, no, she's like, I'm just a crier. That's how it is, it's, it's okay, it's okay. So in this, uh, kind of brings us into a close a little bit. I, I think being a good parent, you, you lead by example. That, that, that's how you do it. So I, I would say when, when your kids are old enough and if you're involved in a church, you know, whether it's here or somewhere else, involve your children in church and ministry. When they're, when they're old enough to, to hold a baby and go and volunteer in the nursery and hold babies in the nursery and let them see you giving up your time and your energy. Uh, if you are involved in the gospel community, take them with you to your gospel community. Not that, depending on their age, they don't have to hang out for like the discussion and be bored, but like in ours, we have a ton of, I think we have more kids than we have adults in ours. And, and the kids go hang out and they play together, but the kids still see it's important for their parents to get together and to talk about these things and, and to pray for one another. If you study the scriptures, study the scriptures with your kids. Read, not all, because it's probably hard all the time, right? But everyone sit down and read the scriptures with them so they see it. Discuss with them the world around them, how they see the world, because kids are going to see the world completely different than you do. My wife was telling me this story a couple weeks ago, one of the doctors at the hospital, so he has this daughter that lives down south, and, and her and her husband have this little boy, and they're raising him, and so they went down to visit him. And, and they went to this stadium for something, and as they're walking in with all this stuff to, to walk inside, they, they told the little boy, you've got to carry your seat in with you. you know, and, and Because we're all, all this stuff, and the little boy goes, it's so heavy, I can't carry it. And so the, the dad looks at the little boy, and he, and he says, based on the tone of your voice, I don't think that it's too heavy, I think that you don't want to. And the little kid goes, it's so heavy, I can't carry it. <laughs> So he understands, right? He gets it. But it's, they see the world differently. So ask your kids how they see the world. When you read something in the scriptures that just seems just natural and normal to you, ask them how they see it, how they understand those things. 
When God leads His people out of bondage, what He does is He commands them to teach their kids all that He had done for them. You see this in Deuteronomy 6 and 11. What God desires is a generation that comes would live lives that love each other and love Him. And so I would say in all that we've talked about this morning, because it's very easy to do this, don't be a legalist. Avoid becoming a legalist. What I mean is, don't scare your kids into obeying some kind of list. I think some parents do an abysmal job of teaching kids about obedience and sin. And so they will say things like, you better not sin, or when you die, God's going to be there. And it's like, and where I do believe that, God's going to be there, okay? I mean, God is gracious, and, and, and He is good. But we get to live eternity with Jesus because of what Jesus has done. Not because of what we have done, his work for us. So don't be the parent that says, if you don't listen to mom and dad, God's going to whack you. Okay? That's not what you want to be. You know, the truth is that Jesus took all of God's wrath against sin and took it upon himself when he died on the cross. And so what you want your kids to understand is the gospel. The good news that our God comes and he rescues and redeems and he calls us back in. Our, our, our destiny as of believers are to be with him. So teach your kids that. Remind other people in your lives of this. Let them see that. That when we trust in Jesus, we are a redeemed people. Parenting is not meant to be just a list of do's and don'ts because our justification before God is not based on obedience. It comes from Jesus' redemption of us. In Isaiah chapter 1, which I talked about earlier, you know, God is a perfect parent. Israel still rebelled. What was Israel's problem? It was their heart. It was their heart. They went through, sometimes they went through the motions, they did all the things we were supposed to do, but in the end it was all outward because it wasn't affecting their hearts. And so what I would say to be a parent is you pursue your child's heart. You pursue their heart. And you do that by focusing on things that are inward. I think in the end we could create a bunch of rule-following legalists and that might actually be easier, but if hearts are not transformed, it doesn't matter. So in your life, with kids, create what is normal for them. And what I mean by that is what you teach your kids in your home and how you live is going to be normal for them. If you put orange juice on cereal for breakfast every day, that's going to be normal for your kids. They will wake up thinking food's supposed to taste awful. That's just how it is. What happens every day in your home will define what is normal for your kids. And if you, you know, Friday evenings is hamburger night or... Tuesdays after school, we go and get ice cream, or we have a day every week, we turn the TV off and play games together. In that, you should also have the normalcy of honesty and truth. And when you mess up, let your kids see you go before God with those things. Let them see you restore relationships with others. Let them see you restore relationship with them. Have the gospel be center to what you do. Make Jesus a normal part of your family and your life. Make worshiping God an attitude that is every single day. It's not just a couple hours on a Sunday morning. It's everything that you do. Because every parent is going to leave a legacy. And I think the most important thing for your children is that they have an authentic relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because in the end, all that matters is Jesus. And that's the place where it starts and the place where it ends. And I think to be parents and to understand, you know, what does it mean to navigate life with kids? I think navigating life with kids first comes from understanding how God has navigated life with us. And how he has come to rescue and redeem us. And I would say in all of your relationships with your kids, that should be the center. And guys, I know, I know that it is sometimes difficult. I know in places you probably feel like you've failed over and over and over, but that's the beauty of grace and redemption. 
that our God has come to rescue and call us back in and parent us as a good father. And in understanding how God parents us, that's how we in turn then go and we parent children around us. And again, whether they're your kids or people who are next to you that you're, that you're friends with and you help them parent their kids, we all come together understand the center of it all must be the person and the work of Jesus and what he's done. Because it is not about us. It's not morally compliant kids. It's redeemed hearts and lives that center on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I am going to invite you guys, if you want to, to take communion this morning. Again, there's no music afterwards, so it is a little bit awkward, not like normal. So hopefully it's not awkward normally. Um, but you can take communion where you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us, dip it in the wine of the grape juice, reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me so that we can be a people who get to understand and walk in his grace and redemption and, and hope. It's remembrance of that. And if you need that remembrance today, it is there for you. Uh, we don't have communion on the back tables. They're only up front. We do have uh, some deacons and elders available to pray with you today. If, if you would like prayer about something, they're also going to be up front and not blocking the hallway in the back. You're welcome. Uh, uh, and, and I would encourage you, if you need prayer, seek someone out for prayer. If you, you know, feel like you're still having a hard time navigating this, uh, then uh, we, we can send you notes from this morning. Uh, we can send you a link to the podcast. You want audio. You don't want to have to see this again, right? If it, you do have video if you want it, but, you know. Um, but you can have all those things. What we want to do is come alongside you and, and help you to be the parents God is calling you to be. And I think the, the first and foremost way that that begins to happen is understanding God's great redemption of us first. Because that's going to change our hearts and change who we are so we pursue our kids' hearts in that. Um, there's offering boxes on the side one on the back and we give because God gave so much to us giving this part of our worship. If we don't pass the plate, it's a response to what he's done. And then there's some food and stuff in the back. So if you are not a mom and didn't get a cool little C's candy truffle, uh, there is still some food in the back for you. Grab something to eat, meet some other people, and maybe this week begin to have some conversations about parenthood and what that looks like. And, and maybe you're not a parent, but you know some parents. You can ask them, how can we help you parent? You know, how, how can I come alongside you? Or maybe you're friends with a bunch of other parents, and you can talk about those places where you felt like you're a failure, maybe places where you've done it right, or the better ways to pursue your kids' hearts better. And I think, I think, that throughout the Scriptures, what we understand is I keep saying, the beginning to understanding that is how God has pursued us and rescued and saved us. So, be a people who pursue your kids' hearts or the hearts of children that are around you by first understanding God's great love that has been given to you. Let's pray. Father, this morning, uh, we ask that you would teach us how to live and honor you by first understanding your great love given to us. That you have first given blessings to us. You have first sought us and, and brought us back. It's like Tracy said, we, we can run but we can't hide because our God is big and good and he chases us down. And so I ask that you would teach us to understand how you parent us and that we would then begin to step out and live lives that begin to love one another by how we understand your parenting of us. That for those people in here with, with kids... Father, you would remind them to, to seek their kids' hearts first, to teach about grace and hope and love and redemption, that you are a God who does discipline us and allow us to go through some very hard things in our lives, but in the end, it's all about growing us into who you're calling us to be. So teach us to love like you love, to discipline like you discipline, but to also live in the redemption that you provide for us so that the whole world would know that you are a God who rescues and saves. 
and you send your people out to live on a mission displaying who you are, especially by how we parent children. Amen.